This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we start with one of our favorite shows, and judging from the many emails they get, this show is high on your list of favorites, too. Our Miss Brooks was a hit on radio from the very outset. Within eight months of its launch as a regular series, the show landed several honors, including four for Eve Arden, who won polls in four individual publications of the time. Arden had actually been the third choice to play the title role. Harry Ackerman, at the time CBS's West Coast Director of Programming, wanted Shirley Booth for the part. But as he told historian Gerald Nachman many years later, he realized that she was too focused on the underpaid downside of public school teaching at the time to have any fun with the role. Lucille Ball was believed to have been the next choice, but she was already committed to My Favorite Husband and didn't audition. Then CBS chairman Bill Paley, who was friendly with Arden, persuaded her to audition for the part. With a slightly rewritten audition script... Osgood Conklin, for example, was originally written in as a school board president, but now was written in as the incoming new Madison principal. Arden agreed to give the newly revamped show a try. Well, it was a smash hit from the get-go. The interplay between the cast, nebbishly Denton, accommodating Harriet, absent-minded Mrs. Davis, clueless Mr. Boynton, scheming Miss Enright, they all received positive reviews. Jeff Chandler played Boynton and stayed with the show for five years, even after becoming a movie star. He ultimately resigned because it was just too exhausting to juggle a regular radio role with his film commitments. Tonight's episode is entitled The Frog. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Madison High. Well, like many other romantically inclined people, she sent the object of her affections, Madison's bashful biologist, Philip Boynton, an unsigned card for Valentine's Day. And then she sat down to wait for his reply. It wasn't that his reply was long in coming. It just didn't come at all. <laughs> Knowing Mr. Boynton, I wasn't too surprised that he forgot about Valentine's Day, but I was determined to change the locale of our next date. For the past six weeks, we had spent every Friday afternoon at the zoo. Now, I am definitely not anti-animal, but I am a schoolteacher, and hence, after spending three hours in the monkey house, I just can't afford to buy taboo by the court. <laughs> I was brooding about it in the school cafeteria on Friday when Harriet Conklin walked over. Mind if I sit down with you, Miss Brooks? Not at all, Harriet. But don't you usually have lunch with Walter Denton? Oh, yes, I do. But he's manager of the basketball team, you know, and he's giving the boys an extra skull practice. Really? Whose skull are they using today? <laughs> I hope you're not expecting Mr. Boynton to have lunch with you, Miss Brooks. 
He told me he was eating his lunch in the laboratory because he didn't want to leave McDougal alone. Oh, don't tell me that frog is sick again. Not actually sick. It's just spring fever or something. It's kind of fun to have lunch without any men around anyway. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? Well, yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? No. <laughs> we haven't had a real woman-to-woman talk in a long time. You know, Walter Denton is crazier about me than ever. All I have to do is whistle and he comes running. Really? It's the only way to train them. That's what you want to try with Mr. Boynton. I have, but every time I whistle, he opens his lunchbox. <laughs> Sometimes his dog-like affection and constant worship becomes absolutely cloying. Well, I wish Mr. Boynton would cloy me once in a while. <laughs> By the way, Harriet, when Walter takes you out on a date, where do you usually go? Oh, all sorts of places, Miss Brooks. A drive in the country or for a long walk in the park. Or sometimes we go to a movie and hold hands. Do you ever go to the zoo? The zoo? Oh, gosh, no. Except when Mr. Boynton takes us there for his monthly lecture. That's where I've got an edge on you kids. I hear it every week. <laughs> but Mr. Boynton takes you to the movies once in a while, doesn't he? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, we went last week. Was it romantic? Oh, extremely. We stood in a crowd of people behind a velvet rope for a while, and then an usher said, there's one down front. Yes? That was the last I saw of Mr. Boynton for three hours. <laughs> got a seat in the balcony. Oh, golly, that's a shame, Miss Brooks. You couldn't hold hands at all, could you? Not even with the long gloves I was wearing. <laughs> but about those Fridays in the monkey house, Harriet... I'm surprised at you, Miss Brooks. You don't really let Mr. Boynton take you to the monkey house every week, do you? Well, I think it's the monkey house. It can't be the Taj Mahal with all those bananas. Uh. <laughs> well, if it isn't Madison High Ferris. May I join this charming bevy of pulchitude? Why, Walter, what a lovely speech. Yes, you are a delightful child, Walter. But if you'll excuse me, Miss Brooks, I'd like to get my entree at the steam table. Oh, can I be of service, Fair Harriet? I'll gladly fetch what you want. No, thank you. But if you'll sit up nicely when I return, I'll pat you on the head. Arf, arf. <laughs> can I get you anything, Miss Brooks? No, thanks, Harriet. Just bring back a roast beef bone and a can of strong heart. <laughs> Okay, Harriet. You know, I think it's wonderful the way you kids get along. You're very fond of Harriet, aren't you, Walter? Very. A plus which Harriet's the principal's daughter, and I'm manager of the basketball team. And there are things that I can accomplish quicker if I can get to Mr. Conklin without having to go through regulation channels all the time. What's good about getting to Mr. Conklin so fast? Well, I like getting things done fast that need getting done fast. But like New Jersey, for instance. Like New Jersey's what, for instance? <laughs> Not New Jersey's anything. New Jersey for the basketball team. Oh, we need them badly. You do at that. The ones the team wore in their last game looked awfully fuzzy. They didn't wear any in their last game. <laughs> but I'm sure the new ones will come through all right. I'm taking Harriet out on a date tonight, and I can bring it up casually when I see Mr. Conklin at his house. I don't like to suggest a career for you, Walter, but I have a feeling you're going to kiss an awful lot of babies before you're much older. <laughs> oh, I could never be a politician. I'm too sincere. Oh, but why are we talking about me? You seem to have a problem of your own on your mind, Miss Brooks. Is it that obvious, Walter? I have been thinking about Mr. Boynton, but only in connection with getting him out of the zoo and into my parlor. Hmm. I shouldn't be too tough. What kind of a web are you spinning? Web? Look, Miss Brooks, 
At the risk of feeling like a traitor to a fellow male, I'll help you plot Mr. Boynton's overthrow. But frankly, I'm kind of hungry right now. Then why don't you eat, Walter, and we can finish building the bomb after lunch. <laughs> oh, say, there's Mr. LeBlanc, the new French teacher. Oh, he ought to know plenty about romance. He's a real Frenchman. I'll call him over. Don't you dare, Walter. When I'm ready to take my case to the United Nations, I'll let you know. <laughs> Besides, I've seen Mr. LeBlanc on dates with Miss Enright lately. So what? Miss Enright goes on dates with anybody. Gosh, every time she sees Mr. Boynton, she makes cuckoo eyes at him. That's not nice, Walter. Miss Enright's eyes are always that way. <laughs> I mean, it's unethical. Unethical is better than lonesome, Miss Brooks. Oh, Mr. LeBlanc. Walter, please. You call me, Walter. Yes. Would you be kind enough to come over here a minute? I'd like to talk to you about something very important. Well, you'd better talk to him, anyway, Walter, because I refuse I to... bring my coffee along and... Oh. I'll do you, Miss Brooks. Fine. How do you, Mr. LeBlanc? <laughs> What, uh, what did you want to talk to me about, Walter? Oh, it isn't important. I'll see you later. Now, that's what I call a real subtle maneuver. <laughs> he's a, he's a funny boy, no? No. <laughs> well, now, now he's just you and I, Miss Brooks, eh? I'm afraid he's just you, Mr. LeBlanc. I've got to see Mr. Conklin about something. Mr. Conklin, please, Miss Brooks, I think Mr. Conklin is a fine principal. But do you have to mention him during the lunch period? <laughs> You've got something there. I guess it can wait a while. It's only a question of giving him my weekly dollar. Oh, you owe him a weekly dollar? For what? It's a long and grim story, but I think I can boil it down to the repulsive essentials. A couple of weeks ago, I took an electric heater of his, connected it in Mr. Boynton's laboratory on an overloaded circuit, and shorted the building, started a small fire, and ruined the heater. Why did you do that? I like sirens. <laughs> oh, I didn't do it purposely, Mr. LeBlanc. It was an accident. One for which I'm paying at the rate of a dollar a week. And today's dollar day at Madison. <laughs> well, that is too bad, Miss Brooks, but it is not money that causes you to look the way you do today. Is there a sign on my forehead? How do I look today? Well, there are only two things that can make a woman have the look you have on your face. One is an affair of the heart. The other is the meatballs in this cafeteria. <laughs> but, but neither of them is insurable, eh? I'm sure. You haven't eaten those meatballs lately. <laughs> Look, it's nice of you to try and cheer me up, Mr. LeBlanc. Oh, please, but... call me Paul. And I'm not trying to cheer you up. I'm trying to help you. First of all, tell me this. Did you receive any messages on Valentine's Day? Oh, Dad. I got one from Zimmerman's Bakery, one from the finance company, a lovely little card from Bertie's Bicycle Shop, in the shape of a pump, that one was. And, uh, oh yes, a dandy little poem from Sam, our neighborhood scissor sharpener. I think I remember that one. It went, uh, I've applied my grindstone to shears both old and new, but I never met a scissors one half as sharp as you. <laughs> Wasn't that a peachy sentiment for Valentine's Day? Oh, quite amusing, yes, but not to you, I'm afraid. Because you're not in love with Sam the Scissor or Bercy the Bicycle. No, my problem is Boynton, the biology. <laughs> Miss Brooks, since we have taken me into your confidence, I would like to make a suggestion. You must play, how do you say in this country, uh, uh, you must play difficult to acquire. Difficult to acquire? Ah. Oh, you mean hard to get. Mm. Uh -huh. <laughs> now tell me, tell me the truth. When Mr. Boynton asks you for an engagement, do you ever say no? Well, no. But it isn't just because of Mr. Boynton. 
I'd hate to disappoint 400 monkeys. <laughs> I haven't gone out with him much lately at all. Because he do not ask you. Well, I like that. I am glad. Miss Wilkes, there's one way to get a man interested that never fails. You must make him chill out. <laughs> I've tried that, Mr. LeBlanc, but he just, just doesn't gel out very easily. <laughs> ah, yes, but you've tried it only once. That is not enough. How do the big American advertisings work? A repetition over and over the same thing. What is it you hear on the radio all the time? Smoker Benny. Again, again. Smoker Benny. If you repeat this often enough, do you know what happens? Yeah, Jack gets pretty burned up. <laughs> no, Mr. LeBlanc, I'm afraid Mr. Boynton is too wrapped up in a frog to pay any attention to me. Oh, but of course. I forget Monsieur Le Frog. You know, in France, we have a proverb. Le chemin au cœur d'homme et par son grenelle. Translation, the way to a man's heart is to his frog. Oh, it's very touching, but I don't see what it has oh, to do. Oh, it's so simple, really. Here you have a man with his little pet, Monsieur Le Frog. And here you have a woman with her pet, Mademoiselle La Frog. Now, we convince the man that Monsieur Le Frog is lonesome. And where can his poor little frog find companionship? With Mademoiselle La Frog. And when the two little frogs are together, where are the man and the woman? Pricing junior beds for tadpoles. <laughs> no. No, Miss Books, no. The man and the woman are also together. Now you know, Miss Books, what you have to do to get Mr. Boynton to be a bat for your dog, no? Yes, I've got to build a better frog trap. <laughs> Look, Mr. Le Frog, uh, LeBlanc. <laughs> this idea is oh, a little impractical. coming, Miss Brooks. Oh, you look better already. Hello, Walter. Mr. LeBlanc is quite an idea man. <laughs> we were just discussing a really fantastic scene. Not only fantastic, but ridiculous and absurd. Walter. Yes, Miss Brooks? Run down to Peterson's pet shop and get me a female frog. <laughs> Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. The makers of Palm Olive Soap are giving away $100,000 in prizes. First prize, $49,000, plus over 4,900 other cash prizes in the big 49 Gold Rush Contest. Hundreds will strike it rich in this exciting Gold Rush Contest. One of them may be you. It's easy to enter. Just finish this sentence and 25 additional words or less. I like Palm Olive Soap because... That's all. Just 25 words or less to finish the sentence, I like palm olive soap because. Then mail your entry right away along with a palm olive soap wrapper. Try for your share of that $100,000 in prizes right now. Your chance of winning $49,000 is as good as anyone. Get entry blank with complete rules from your dealer or write your completed sentence on plain paper. Include your name and address and dealer's name and address. Mail with one palm olive soap wrapper for each entry to Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Better write that down. Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Enter as often as you like, including one wrapper with each entry. Get palm olive soap right away to help win a lovelier complexion and try for your share of the $100,000 in cash prizes. <laughs> Well, 
I gave Walter my last dollar to buy a female frog. And while he was out getting it, I took advantage of a free period to visit Mr. Boynton in his laboratory. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. I just dropped in to say hello, Mr. Boynton. Hello. Well, goodbye, Mr. Boynton. Oh, don't go yet. I've just been examining McDougal. You know, my frog. He's got me a little worried. He's way off his feet, and we'll, we'll look at him. <laughs> don't you think his eyes pop out more than usual? What did you say? I, I said, don't you think his eyes pop out more than usual? Yes. For a minute, I thought he was Eddie Cantor. <laughs> Hi, Max. <laughs> of course, you know what's wrong with Mac, don't you? Uh, no, Miss Brooks, I don't. Well, it's getting very close to spring, and it's just... After all, you raised him from a tadpole, and it's only natural that you should still think of him as your baby, but he's a big boy now. <laughs> what do you mean, Miss Brooks? Well, just this, Mr. Boynton. Did it ever occur to you that Mac gets lonesome all alone in that cage? Oh, I let him out of the cage quite often. He hops all over the lab. But what good is that? He hasn't got any friends here. Oh, I don't know. There are always a number of guinea pigs around. Of course, he doesn't pay much attention to them. Well, naturally, guinea pigs make fine friends for other guinea pigs. A frog might crave a different kind of companionship. Oh, what about me? I'm very close to McDougal. I've been his constant companion. If I were a frog, I don't think I'd consider that the ideal arrangement either. Now, I think I'd want something a little more frog-like. What are you getting at, Miss Brooks? Look, did you ever sit down and tell McDougal about the birds and bees? Well, what does he want with birds and bees? He won't even make friends with guinea pigs. <laughs> put it this way. Mrs. Davis, my landlady, has a cat named Minerva. Now, around this time of the year, Minerva keeps us both awake half the night with an almost incessant yowling. Well, have you tried giving her a saucer of milk? That's not what she's yowling about, Mr. Barnett. <laughs> <laughs> Milk's very expensive, Yes, I know. And believe me, if I thought it would quiet her down, I'd give her an autographed picture of Elsie the cow. But it won't. She's yowling because she's lonely. Wait a minute. Brooks, I didn't know you were so aware of these biological manifestations. Where did you learn all this? My mama done told me. <laughs> I mean, I found out about a lot of things since, since I've acquired my pet frog. Pet female frog, that is. Oh, you have a pet frog, Miss Brooks? What's her name? Her name? Uh, Millie. Millie? Yes, from the picture of the mating of Millie. <laughs> oh, she's awfully cute, too. <laughs> Why, you think Mac almost understood what you were talking about? Well, don't think for a minute he doesn't. What do you say, Mac? Would you like to come over and play with Millie this afternoon? <laughs> Today you are a man, Frog. Oh, this is amazing, Miss Brooks. Look, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you if... Uh... Uh, shine up your hope chest, Millie. Here it comes. <laughs> I'd like to ask you, Miss Brooks, uh, how about a, a double date? That is, if you, if it isn't too much trouble. Shall we say my place for tea? Splendid. Just bring a pogo stick and a deck of cards, Mr. Barnhill. A pogo stick and cards? Yes, while Mac and Millie play gin, you and I can have a hopping contest. <laughs> oh, l'amour, l'amour. Excuse me. Uh, could you come over here to the door a minute, Miss Brooks? I've got to get to my next class. Oh, certainly, Walter. I'll just be a minute, Mr. Barnhill. Did you get it, Walter? Yes, in this paper bag, Miss Brooks. Here. Thanks. That's okay. I hope it works, Miss Brooks. Well, I'll see you in English. What's in the bag, Miss Brooks? This bag? Oh, just a roast beef sandwich Walter brought me. But it's a pretty active one. Hey, look out, it's falling out of the bag. Here, here, let me see that. Yeah, I've got him. Oh, Miss Brooks, do you realize what you've got here? Sure, an F-R-O-G. 
<laughs> I didn't want to mention it in front of Mac until we got home. Oh, but this is a male frog. You, you can always tell. Because in the species Dimorphognathus from West Africa, there's a very apparent dimorphism in the dentition. The male's being provided with a series of large serrated teeth in the lower jaw, which in the female is edentulous. Well, slap me with a wet lily pad. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Boynton, I've got to be running along now. Oh, why, Miss Brooks? I've got to see a boy about a frog. <laughs> here, here, I'll put it back in the bag for you. Now, just hold the top tighter and he won't get away again. I still don't comprehend why you got this male frog. Well, I didn't know how you and McDougal would react to the idea of keeping Millie company, so I thought I'd play safe and get this one, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't think Mac likes the idea very much. Uh, don't be jealous, Mac. Let him live his own life. <laughs> we better not come over this afternoon, Miss Brooks. I'm afraid it'll only confuse Mac. Look, Mr. Boynton, I don't care if a frog wants to play hard to get. But there's something I'd like you to remember. Well, what's that, Miss Brooks? Well, I don't want to sound too much like an English teacher, but when one plays hard to get too often, one sometimes don't get got. <laughs> now, I'll just take this frog into my room and see how Walter happened to make such well, an awful... Well, there you are, Connie. I've been looking all over for you. Mrs. Davis, what are you doing in the hallowed halls of Madison High? Well, I know how you've been waiting for a Valentine card from Mr. Boynton at night. Just had to tell you that all hope isn't lost. But today is Friday, Mrs. Davis. That's just it, Connie. Some mail came this morning that should have been delivered Monday. A Valentine? No, a bill from the gas company. <laughs> now, that's the nicest bit of sentiment since Sam Scissors. <laughs> they say that if we don't pay it immediately, they'll shut off the gas. Just my luck with Mr. Boynton coming over for tea. It couldn't be the electric company promising to shut off all the lights. No, Connie. <laughs> And I'm short some money or I wouldn't bother you in school like this. You know, Minerva cost me a lot lately with her special diet. No. Just how much do you need, Mrs. Davis? Well, if you'll forgive a slang expression, one greenback will do it. I just happen to have one on me. He's in this bag here. <laughs> now, don't look so alarmed, Mrs. Davis. I'm not cracking up completely. Look, just take this frog back to Peterson's Pet Shop and they'll refund my dollar. I'll explain why I bought the frog later. You don't have to explain anything to me, Connie. If you want a frog for a pet, it's perfectly all right. But why are you giving it back? To keep the gas on, for one thing. <laughs> Besides, it's a male frog, and I've got to have a female. Well, you don't have to spend any money for that. I'll get you a female frog in the park. I never thought of that. I'd certainly appreciate it, Mrs. Davis. Will you bring it back with you after you've paid the gas bill? Certainly, Connie. And I just know that you'll be very happy together. <laughs> And so, class, you were to have these compositions ready by next Tuesday. That's the end of the period. Class dismissed, except Walter Denton. Come up to my desk, Walter. Oh, I'm glad you asked me, Miss Brooks. I wanted to explain about that frog. You see, Mr. Peterson was out to lunch when I got to the pet shop, so I got you one out of the park pond. But was it all right? I mean, was she a girl? No, Walter, she was a boy with big serrated teeth in her lower jaw. And what about the dollar I gave you? Oh, here it is, Miss Brooks. <laughs> I didn't have time to give it to you before. Thanks, Walter. That'll be all for now, then. I'd better get over to Mr. Conklin's office and make my payment on that heater. Oh, here I am, Connie. Hello, Walter. Hello, Mrs. Davis. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Well, what do you think, Connie? Mr. Peterson didn't sell Walter that frog at all. I know, Mrs. Davis. But he said it was a very good specimen and traded me a lovely female for him. And instead of giving us any money, he promised that when our frog becomes a husband, we'll get the pick of the litter. <laughs> I 
can hardly wait. But where's the female frog? Oh, I had that in a paper bag, and it seemed very insecure. So I put the frog in a desk across the hall. Nobody saw me. Across the hall? But that's Mr. Conklin's office. Mrs. Davis, you wait right here. And if I'm not back in five minutes, call the coroner. Now, what is it? Come in. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Please transact whatever business you have in this office in a hurry. I've got an appointment with the doctor. The doctor? What's the matter, Mr. Conklin? Oh, just a checkup. A lot of nonsense, if you ask me. My wife's been telling him all sorts of foolishness about the state of my nerves. To hear her tell it, I've not only got the world's highest blood pressure, but I'm jumpy, anxious, overwrought, but irritable. Mr. Conklin... Don't interrupt! <laughs> and I'm ill-tempered. <laughs> Now, what is it you want? I just want to give you a dollar towards the heater I accidentally injured here. Oh, thanks. Sit down for a minute and I'll give you a receipt. I've got a regular Board of Education receipt book around here somewhere. But, Mr. Conklin, your desk drawer... Please, Miss Brooks. (laughs) Don't tell me where I keep my things. Of course it's in the desk drawer. Let's see now. Book should be right over here next to this blotter. Oh, that's funny. Oh, here it is over by this frog. Hello, little frog. <laughs> Miss Brooks, it won't take a moment to get the receipt. Hello, little frog! <laughs> Miss Brooks, where did this monstrous... Do you know anything about this horrible creep? How did this Please, get in? Please, Mr. Coughlin, <laughs> remember the world's highest blood pressure. Never mind that. What is this frog doing in my desk? Calm down, Mr. Conklin. Ours isn't the only school that's overcrowded. (laughs) I thought you'd never get home from school, Connie. How long did Mr. Conklin spend bowling you off? Oh, it seemed like hours, but actually it was only a few minutes. You should have been there when Mr. Conklin and Millie here faced each other across his desk drawer. Poor thing, her heart hasn't stopped beating yet. (laughs) Neither is yours, Connie. You're as jumpy as Minerva. Are you sure Mr. Boynton said he'd be over for tea? Oh, definitely, Mrs. Davis. I told him all about how lonely Minerva was and compared her to McDougal. So he's bringing Mac over to meet Millie. It's the first time in weeks we've had a date away from the zoo. Oh, oh that's Mr. Boynton now. I'll go make the tea, Connie, and you receive him alone. All right, Mrs. Davis. Coming! Well, it's nice to see you boys. Come in. <laughs> Let's go into the living room. Uh, thank you, Miss Brooks. Uh, here's something for Millie. It's from McDougal. Oh, I'll open it for her. Well, wasn't that thoughtful of Mac, Millie? Just what you needed, the clump of wilted lettuce. Here, I'll put it in this little box I keep her in. Mm. Oh, I guess Mac wants to see what Millie looks like. Oh, of course. Here, just hold him up. There we are. Mm-hmm. This is Mac, Millie. <laughs> She likes him, but Miss Brooks, didn't you say you had a cat on the premises? That's right, Minerva. She usually sleeps in the piano during the day. Here, Minerva, come out of the piano. Oh, well, she'll probably wake up in a little while. Sit down, Mr. Boynton. Oh, before I do, don't you want to open this big box? For me? Well, what in the world can this be? It's a cat, Miss Brooks. I brought him over to keep Minerva company. Well, here comes Minerva now. Yeah! <laughs> like each other, too. 
Miss Brooks, where are you going? You know where I'm going. I'll meet you by the third monkey from the left. Steve Orton, as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment. But first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to... A Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Boynton finally took McDougal and his cat and left. Mrs. Davis and I had dinner, and then we sat down in the living room to spend a quiet evening. Minerva went back to sleep, and everything was nice and peaceful when the phone rang. <laughs> Lie down, Minerva. It's not for you. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Oh, I'm sorry, Minerva. It is for you. Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Parmalee Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. <laughs> Stay tuned for Hopalong Cassidy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Hopalong Cassidy. Hopalong Cassidy is believed to have been a fictional cowboy hero created in 1904 by the author Clarence E. Mulford, who wrote a series of popular short stories and many novels based on the character. Modern descendants of the author and the Davis family argue that the stories in the name Hopalong Cassidy are based on a real person and friend of the author. Time now for the episode, The Sundown Kid. It's Hopalong Cassidy. With action and suspense, out of the Old West comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. The ring of the silver spurs heralds the most amazing man ever to ride the prairies of the early West, Hopalong Cassidy. This famous hero thrills his 60 million fans with action and dangerous adventure. In the role of Hopalong Cassidy is the popular star of the motion picture series, William Boyd. And now, another exciting story of the early West. The Sundown Kid. <laughs> It was a strange meeting there on the dry stage-covered alkali flat five miles out of the little town of Saguaro. 
Hopalong pulled up in the shadow of a mesquite tree, squinted through the shimmering heat at the rider moving toward him on the trail, drooped over the saddle horn, his feet hanging loose out of the stirrups, his hat flung around his neck by the chin strap, leaving his head bare to the killing desert sun. Only when the dog-tired roan pulled up alongside him did Hoppy understand it. The kid was out of his head. No. Listen to me, Sam. You've got no right to treat me like this. What's the matter, kid? You ought to know what's the matter, Sally. We've been together long enough to know each other's minds, ain't we? I, I can't stand it no more, I tell you. I, I can't stand it. Mm, sunstroke. Come on over this way, fella. Let's get out of that sun. Yeah. Yeah, get out of the sun. Sun. <laughs> what do I care about the sun? Wind. Rain. What a blizzard. Come on now, come on. Yeah. I've seen them all, Sally. On the move. All is on the move. Ever since you gave me the sign. Come on, Sonny, snap out of it. Never forget that night, you know. When you told me. The kid was pale and sweating from the heat. His hair matted on his forehead. Hoppy started to put his hat back on. Then saw something else. We didn't have to split up, you know. Hmm, bullet crease over the ear. Looks like you've been in a gunfight, Sonny. Yeah, come on now. Snap out of it. No. Don't, Sal, please. You're out of your head, kid. Get hold of yourself. Sally, don't hit me. Don't. Come on. Huh? That's it, Sonny. Look at me. Who who are you? Hop along, Cassidy. Oh, what happened? Don't ask me. Looks like you've been in a gunfight for one thing. You got yourself a little too much sun. Gun? Gunfight? Yeah, bullet crease over your ear. I... I don't remember. Well, don't try to now. I wish I had some water, mister, but I'm as dry as you are. Five hot miles to town, but two miles to the north is a ranch on Clear Creek. I stopped there a while ago. I... I could use some water, I reckon. We'd better go back there. You stay on that horse? Yeah, I can make it. Only a few minutes from here. We can... Hold it. What's the matter? Cloud of dust down the trail there. Looks like a bunch of riders coming out from town. Maybe we better wait. Maybe maybe they got water. You, uh... You sure you don't remember anything about a gunfight? Yeah. I was thinking... Yeah, they've stopped. They're trailing someone. That's a posse, Sonny. Why are you looking at me? I got no reason to... Except for that bullet crease. Want to stay here and find out what they want? You're playing them face up. That's the way I like it. I told you I got nothing to hide. Okay. We better hit up the canyon to that ranch house. Mort Robertson. Yeah. Before we mosey up to the sheriff, I think we better find out more about that bullet crease. Let's go. few minutes after the meeting on the plane, that Hoppy and the kid ride up to the door of Mort Robertson's ranch house on Clear Creek. You all right? Yeah. Better get rid of your horse here for the time being. There you go, boy. We'll do to have the sheriff spot him around here.
I, I just stopped by here a while ago, and I... Eddie. Hello, Kitty. Come in. You seem to know each other. Yes, Eddie and I are old friends. What's wrong? Eddie, you like look like you've been in a fight. Picked up a bullet crease somewhere. A gun fight. Eddie... He doesn't remember much about what happened there. Maybe we'd better find a place to stretch you out, Eddie. There's a bed in here. You got any water, Kitty? I'm awful dry. Of course. Right away. Just lie down there and, and make yourself comfortable. Oh. You feel better? Yeah. Look, Eddie. I don't want to crowd you. But you better try to think. Right now. I, I can't think. It's all a blank. When does the blank start? Last night. Now, don't ask me any more questions, Cassidy. My head hurts, eh? Okay, it's your funeral. What do you mean? I mean I'm walking out right now. Unless you want to give me the whole story. Oh, I... Here you are, Eddie. Oh, thanks. What do you mean you're walking out, Mr. Cassidy? What is it? There's a sheriff's posse down on the flat. I think they're looking for Eddie. Why, Eddie? I'll try. I'll, I'll try to think. That's better. What's the last thing you remember? The cantina. I hit town about nine last night. Been away for more than a year. I couldn't stand it any longer. I had to see Sally. Sally? That's his, his wife. Yeah. Well, I guess I had too much to drink. Anyway, I left about 11 and headed for her place down at the edge of town. I remember knocking on the door... And a funny look on her face when she let me in, and I... Then what? That's all. That's all I remember. Next thing I knew, you were hitting me in the face out in the trail. Listen. The posse. Stay right where you are, Eddie. Come on, miss. We haven't seen him, understand? Uh, uh, All right. Go ahead. looking for Eddie Langtree, or should I say, the sundown kid. Seems they call him that, now he's an outlaw. Outlaw? Nothing real serious till now. I hear he's got into a few scrapes during the past year over to sundown and Point South. What do you mean, uh, till now, Sheriff? This is Mr. Cassidy, Sheriff. Uh, how do you do? Well, to put her direct, Eddie Langtree's about three jumps ahead of a long rope. He, uh... He killed his wife last night. Shot her. I know he thinks a lot of you and your uncle, Miss Kitty. Figured this is the first place he'd head for. There are tracks leading up here from the flat. He's... he's not here. I said there was a pair of tracks leading up here. One set is mine. And... and the other belongs to my uncle. He was in town last night, got home late. If you don't mind, I'll, uh, take me a look in that other room. that empty glass belong to? Me. I got dizzy from the sun and flopped on the bed for a spell. Hmm. 
Uh, you'll get in touch with me if he shows around here. Of course. I think you're lying, but there ain't much I can do right now. Nothing here, boys. He must be down in the flat. Thank you. Hasta luego, miss. Cassidy. Goodbye. The window. He must be down in the barn. Oh, we'll wait till they get out of sight, then we'll take a look. This door here. Okay. Stay where you are. It's me, kid. Cassidy. They gone? Yeah. Okay. the gun. Mort over there. You gonna put it away, Eddie? Yeah. Come on. Mort wanted to give me away. Give me the gun, kid. Sure, here I... Huh? What's the matter? Well, this ain't my gun. Well, you were packing it, weren't you? Yeah. But look, it's a Walker Colt. An old one. I had a brand new Frontier with my initials on the handle. Let's see that. Two shots fired. Hmm. Why'd you want to give the kid away, Mort? Well, I... I can answer that, Mr. Cassidy. On account of me. He knows I... Well, I think a lot of Eddie and... And I don't want my niece mixed up with a murderer. Murderer? What do you mean? Wait a minute, kid. You heard about it, Mort? I was in town last night when it happened. You didn't tell me, Uncle Mort. Well, I knew what? it'd break your heart, Kitty. Figure you'd hear soon enough. About what? Tell me. Tell me what it is. Your wife, Sally. Sally? Oh, no. She was shot last night. You... You've got to believe me, Cassidy. All of you... I wouldn't kill Sally. I, I couldn't. I love her. I... Yes, Eddie. I... I know you love her. You... You do believe me, don't you, Kitty? I think we all do, Eddie. Now, tell me. What happened between you and Sal? Why'd you split up a year ago? Usual reason, I reckon. Another guy. Who? I don't know. We had a fight and I left. Hit the trail. Kind of went wild for a year. Got into trouble, got into jail a couple of times. Busted out. Got blamed for a lot of things I didn't do. They called me the sundown kid like I was an outlaw or something. Uh, then what? Sally had a hold on me. I never knew what it was. But I finally gave up. I had to come back to her. That's how I ended up in the cantina last night. But I... I never killed her. You've got to believe that. Will you believe it, Eddie? Yeah? I'm sorry for what I did. I want you to know I believe you, too. Thanks, Mort. Come on, Eddie. Let's get back up to the house. You need some rest. Yeah. I'm... I'm awful tired. Um, Mort. Yeah? You said you believed in him. How far does that go? As far as you wanted to go. Will you help me? Will you help me clear him? Yeah. Anything you say. Good. We're right under Sawara right now. It was 
two o'clock when Hoppy and Mort Robertson left the ranch house on Clear Creek. After three now, as they pulled up in front of Sheriff Party's office in Saguaro. Evening, Sheriff. Oh, evening, Cassidy. Mort. Putting up a new poster, eh? That's right. Hmm, $500 reward, dead or alive. Eddie Langley, alias the Sundown Kid. Dead or alive? Yeah. The alive part don't mean nothing. If they bring him in at all, it'll be feet first. That's the usual custom around here? When a man kills a woman, it is. Any objections? Yeah. I'm listening. Where I come from, a man's entitled to a trial. The kid's had his trial. He was heard to threaten Sal over at the cantina last night. You seen going there. He was seen leaving town early this morning. So that means he killed her. In my book, it does. I guess you and I own different editions. Let me give you a tip, Cassidy. I don't know how it is where you come from, but if there's one thing that'll make the men of this town see red, it's a woman killer. They won't rest till they grind the kid's carcass into the dust. And anything you say will only make a matter. I'm not defending woman killers. I'm saying there's a good chance Eddie Langtree isn't one. Any idea who it is? I hear she was seeing another man. Who told you that? I keep my ears open. If there's another man, that means there's another suspect. You ever hear that said, Mort? Can't say I knew much about Sal, sure. I knew her pretty well, Cassidy. And as far as I know, she wasn't courting anyone else. Hmm. Who saw the kid go into her house? Liz McKinnon. Lives down the street, just across from the cantina. Yes, we'll get down and have a talk with her. Thanks, Sheriff. Uh, Cassidy. Yeah? You're mighty interested in the kid for an outsider. Ain't seen him lately, have you? That's one for you to chew on till we get back, Sheriff. Stick around. We won't be long. That's all I know, Mr. Cassidy. I saw him go in and... What time? About 11. I went in the house here and into the back room to take off my hat. I, I thought I heard a noise, so I came back out and opened the door. I saw him leave. It's almost 100 yards from here to Sal's doorway. It was dark last night. I don't care. I know it was him. I could tell by... by his clothes. That's it. I could what tell What did by... he have on? Why, why, blue denims and a gray shirt. And... How do you know they were blue? You can't tell colors on a dark night at 10 feet. Say nothing of 300. Stop. Go on, Liz. We're waiting. You're lying, Liz. I'm not. I tell you, I'm... Forget the hysterics. Eddie Langtree had on a pair of black leather shaps when I met him on the trail this morning. That takes care of your identification. Now I want the truth this time. You and Sal were pretty close friends. You had a gentleman friend you were seeing on the sly. If anyone would know who he is, you would. I, I don't know anything about it. I hope you know what you're doing, Liz. There's a sign in the sheriff's office that'll send every man in this town out tomorrow morning hell-bent on bringing Eddie Langtree in dead. They'll never take him alive, even if he surrenders. On your say-so, they'll shoot him on sight. If that happens, Liz, if they kill him for someone else's crime, you'll have something to think about for a long, long time. You gonna talk, Liz? Or are we gonna stand here all night? I've told you all I know. Come on, Mort. I 
I'm not telling you the kid is innocent, Sheriff. I'm just saying there's a chance he is. That woman is lying. I shot her story full of holes. Poppy. What is it, Mort? The posse. They got word somewhere the kid's at the ranch. They're on the way. All right, Sheriff. You're going to let them shoot that kid down in cold blood? I, I don't know. Golly, Cassidy, what can I do? Mort, take off right now over the hills. You can cut across the saddle and get there ahead of the posse. Get him out of there, off the ranch, you understand? Okay. We'll be right behind you. He's at Clear Creek? Yeah. Who tipped them off? No idea. Look, you gotta stop him. You're the only one who can do it. They'll say I'm out of my head. You're acting like it right now, Sheriff. Look, it makes as much sense this way as the other. The real killer, the other man she was seeing, was in the house with her when the kid knocked on the door. He hustled into the back room when the kid comes in. Sees them in each other's arms and shoots them both. Then figured to make it look like murder and suicide, he switches gun with the kid and leaves. Not knowing he only creased the kid, but he'd come to in a few minutes and walk out around midnight. Hey, if the murder was discovered last night, how come they let the kid leave town this morning? It wasn't discovered last night. They found Sal's body at 8 o'clock this morning. Oh, that's who it was. Liz! The posse just left. They're going to kill him. He's innocent, Sheriff. You've got to stop him. What do you mean? Ha, I lied. He told me he'd kill me if I talked, but I don't care now. Who are you talking about? I saw him leave the house, too, before Eddie did. He was seeing Sal, like Mr. Cassidy said. He's talking about Mort Robertson, Sheriff. That's why I thought the killing was discovered last night. Mort knew all about it, and he hasn't been in town all day. Jumping catfish, they'll kill Come on, we gotta stop him before he gets hold of that kid. What's the matter, Kitty? Why? You're all worried about me, ain't you? I can always tell when you're worried. Your eyes get a look. I, I ain't worth it, Kitty. I, oh, I'd die for you, Eddie. You know, sometimes a man has to get himself in a spot like this to see things clear. It's kind of like I'd been riding in the fog all my life. And suddenly it lifts and I can see the sun. Oh, Eddie. Oh, kid, you're an angel. If they get me, kid. Remember, I did see the light. Don't even think it, Eddie. Mort, what is it? The posse's on the way here. We gotta get out. Well, when they leave? Fifteen minutes. We'll hit up into the hills. Have you got a gun, Eddie? Just that old walker somebody swapped me for. But it'll do. Here, take a rifle. No place to pack it. Your horse saddled? Yeah, behind the house. Good. Let's get him. Goodbye, Kit. You'll make it, Eddie. You'll make it. I'm gonna try. I'll go up to Mort's room and watch for them. I can see way down the trail. Hurry up, kid. Go on now. Good luck, Eddie. Thanks. Good luck. Hold it, Sheriff. See anything? Look, across the canyon. Past the ranch house. Yeah. Climbing out of the canyon. Going across the ridge. We'll never catch him now. He'll shoot the kid in cold blood. Took up some story for the posse. Only one thing to do, Sheriff. Give me your Winchester. You'll never make it, Cassidy. That's 1,500 yards. Wind blowing, moving target. I said target. give me the rifle. You're liable to hit the kid. I've got to try. Better get down and find me a stone for a gun rest. Ain't got much time. They're almost up to the notch. <laughs> Pull up, kid. Huh? Well, what are we... I said pull up. Okay. 
What's the idea, Mort? You ain't going no farther, Eddie. You're stopping right here. Huh? You turned on me, see? You tried to kill me and make a getaway before that posse caught up. They'll believe that, Eddie. Because that's what they want to believe. What are you talking about, Mort? Put down that gun! Why? I'm going to kill you with it, ain't I? You're crazy, Mort! No. I'm smart. The 500, huh? You want to... I loved her too, kid. She was going to marry me. She heard you were coming back. Sal? You and Sal? Yeah. She won't do it no more, though. You won't either. You got any prayers, kid? You better stop. (laughs) Mort, what happened? Rifle shot. Right through the head. You all right, kid? Yeah. He killed Sal. He just told me. We know. Golly, one second later and he would have... Where were you, Hoppy? Across the canyon. We saw you heading for the notch. <clears throat> Mind if I say you're a pretty fair shot with a rifle? Uh, uh, Sheriff, uh, Sheriff. Maybe you'd better hustle down to the ranch house and uh, head off the posse. They're coming up the canyon now. Tell them we've taken care of the murder of Sally Langtree. Kid? Yes, sir? Uh, some of the boys outside in the posse want to talk to you. Why? Mm, well, apologize is a kind of weak word to use on a man you've been hell-bent to kill. But it's uh, something along those lines. I see. I already gave him a prime piece of my mind. You may as well do the same thing, Eddie. Uh, well, I, uh, I think you know how we all feel, kid. Kind of like crawling in the nearest coyote hole and pulling it in after. You could have been feeling a lot worse about now, Sheriff. Yeah. Go ahead, Eddie. Talk to them. Don't go away, kid. I'll be right back. Don't worry. I'll never go away. You see, uh, I got a lot of apologizing to do, too. It's all right now. Everything's all right. You know, Kitty... By tomorrow, I'll be known as the best rifle shot in the Southwest. How's your shoulder feel, honey? Mm, pretty sore. A four fifty sharp rifle isn't exactly a woman's weapon. I've seen him knock a grown man right off his feet. I... I wasn't thinking of that. You see, I thought of Mort right away when you said she'd been killed with a walker coat. I knew he had one, but I couldn't believe he... Sure. Oh, I had the rifle in my hand when I went up to his room to look for the posse. That's when I found Eddie's Frontier with his initials on the handle. That's when I knew it was Mort. So you just laid the barrel down on the windowsill and pointed her up the trail and... Don't, Sheriff. I don't want to think about it anymore. All right, Kitty. Don't worry. The Sheriff and I have got a secret to keep, though. Not that I want to ride around with a barred reputation. Because of Eddie. Eddie? Yeah. Men are funny, Kitty. They got a lot of pride like to think they do most everything better than a woman. Don't know exactly how it'd uh, take it if he knew his bride-to-be could hit a moving target at a thousand yards with a four fifty sharp rifle. (laughs) 
This means it's so long from Hopalong Cassidy once again. He's riding back to the Bar 20 bunkhouse to sit with California and all the other waddies round an open fire and tell of the exciting little escapade you just heard. If you'd like more of these two-gun adventures of Hoppies, don't forget you can see him in the fine Hopalong Cassidy pictures at your local theater. Meanwhile, we're hoping you'll tune in next time Hopalong rides the airwaves to bring you more action out of the old west. Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd, is transcribed and produced in the West by Walter White, Jr. The Sundown Kid was written by Harold Swanton. All stories are based upon the characters created by Clarence E. Mulford. This is a Commodore production. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Gunsmoke, followed by The Great Gildersleeve. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.